Welcome to the Washington Union Alliance Church Podcast, an archive of our recorded sermons. We're a Christian and Missionary Alliance Church located in Newcastle, Pennsylvania. For more information, go to wuac.org. Have you ever asked the question, man, life just is not fair? Have you ever asked the question, life just isn't fair? Maybe for you, you ask the question, life just isn't that fair. You make all the right moves. You do all the instructions and things the way you hope for, and it doesn't come together the way you had planned it to be and the way that you had hoped it to be. And you find yourself at the corner of wondering why things haven't turned out the way you thought it would turn out and the way you would hope for and the way you wanted it to go. And maybe it's on the opposite side of the spectrum at this point and wondering if it was really all that you prayed for, and now you have it, and now you wonder maybe if it was really all that this was, if maybe you're wondering like if God was even behind it all, wondering if it was really meant to be what it was going to be, wondering how things happened the way that they did, and the people you longed for and the people you hoped for are now dissipated, and maybe some things, maybe you've done some things right, and nothing's turned out the way you'd hoped it to be. That's where the story of Joseph lands us today. Right in that moment of Joseph doing things right and things not going the way that he wanted it to go. And sometimes it's a person, and Joseph is a story about a guy who's been thrown into a pit up to this point. He's been sold into slavery. He's been taken to Egypt, and we find that sometimes life just isn't very fair. And then we wonder, this whole faith and trusting in God and this whole thing, is, is, is this really worth it? And if you're in that place this morning, I'm glad that you're here. <laughs> If you're in that place, I'm really glad that you're here with me and with us, and I'm glad that you're here as we continue to discover the Joseph story, and that faith and trust in the Lord may turn out more surprising and more hopeful than we think. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, if you want to grab it in front of you, it's on page 30. We are in Genesis chapter 39, and if you want to grab the Bible in front of you or on your device or on the screen behind me. And I just want you to know that uh, we at the Washington Union Alliance value the preaching and teaching of the scriptures. And I pray that you would find a church that does the same, that preaches and teaches from the scriptures faithfully and make sure you find one that does as well. And so you can go there. Uh, before that, we, we've been talking about the story of Joseph. And if you haven't, but you need a refresher of the cobwebs need to kind of dust it off a little bit. The story of Joseph is a story about a family and the families and help us kind of walking through the story of Joseph. And I know because many of us are walking through some deep family hurt or broken relationships, maybe circumstances that seem very bleak. And some of us are walking through some very positive family dynamics as well. And so I'm just trusting the Lord, church. I'm really trusting the Lord and, and uh, praying that, that the Lord would do a redeeming and restoring work in our families. I believe that. I believe that God's going to do a, a weaving of redemption through our families, and many of us are walking through this currently through our families. And I just pray that the Lord, the real stuff of the Bible, very raw and real stuff of the Bible would come and be made known in, to you in a very real way, that a real God wants to do things through real relationships, and he wants to do it really through our families, and he wants to do it in this place and in this church. He wants to do it in your family. 
family as well. There's a God, there is a God behind it all, and he's weaving a plan or purpose that we cannot see right now, but there is a plan and purpose that is being weaved out, and God is doing a real thing. And so maybe for you, maybe for you it's not necessarily family per se, but maybe it's for you the relationships that are closest to you. Um, maybe it's the relationships of people you have closest to you, um, and so I'm just praying that this restoration comes between our families and relationships and all about relationship life. And you've heard me say it, that the great truths in the Bible are about relationships with God and with others as well. And so we find the story of Joseph from the Old Testament. It's a story about a family. It's a story about a family, but a story of redemption and forgiveness and hope is found in this story. And friends, it can happen in your family. It can happen in yours. It can happen in mine. And as we walk through this story together, it's my prayer that the real stuff of this just comes and we would find restoration and begin to find some healing with our families as well. Um, that's God is calling us all toward kind of this, uh, this redemption and this, as we join him in his work of redemption in our families, um, that God has designed our families and our friends the way that they are for a reason and they're in our lives for a reason. So here's kind of the big picture, um, just a very quick overview of where we are at this point. Big picture of Joseph's life. Joseph's the 11th of 12 brothers from a family, and his father told him, his father overtly loved him more than any other. And Joseph gets this fancy robe that nobody else has, and then he receives this God-given dreams and tells his brothers about these dreams. And then the story has jealousy and envy written all over this story. And it begins with his father, and now his brothers are envious because of his dreams, and they say that his brothers are going to bow down to him. I mean, can you imagine? I'm a sibling. I am of an older twin. I can only imagine the amount of frustration I would receive if my brother had a dream and said, oh, you're going to bow down to me, okay? So it's kind of like um, sometimes, at some point, like I can imagine this like tension of, of the family and I just imagine this. But yeah, and we found out that this is a God-given, we'll find out, but we know that this is a God-given dream and he finds himself at the hand of his brothers plotting to kill him after that. And so then the brothers throw him into a cistern and then at the hand of some merchants passing by, this sister, and they sell him uh, into slavery into Egypt. And uh, so, and he finds himself in a cistern, and then he finds himself being sold into slavery. And I don't know if you're in that, maybe not, you're not going to Egypt per se, but maybe you're in that place of like, things aren't really fair, haven't really worked out the way I've wanted it to recently. And this is kind of the, this is kind of the point in which Joseph uh, finds us. Life maybe turned out what you hadn't hoped for, and you've trusted God in the midst of it, and you find yourself in a place you'd be in a culture that is not your own. Maybe you were like Joseph and his brothers. Maybe you were betrayed by ones closest to you, and now you find yourself in Egypt. And then we'll discover today you're in a prison behind all of that. And Joseph, yet, Joseph did not waver in his trust, and one might assume that he had lost all of it, but yet, we find actually one who I believe whose trust deepens. Let's go there. Genesis 39, picking up in verse 1. If you want to follow along, you can on the screen behind me as well. Genesis 39 says this. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with who? Joseph, so that he prospered and he lived in the house of the, his Egyptian master. 
when his master saw that the Lord was with him, notice that again. Notice how many times this happens in this chapter. Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did. Joseph found favor in the eyes and became an attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he trusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord what? Blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. Joseph's about 17 years old at this point in time. So just kind of think about that. Now, Joseph was well-built and handsome, and after after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, My master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns has been entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am, and the master has withheld everything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against who? God. Isn't that interesting? How could I do it and sin against God? Right? We find something in that, the truth of the, that, that, that statement. And then, though he spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even to be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants were inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. And when she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called to her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has come to make sport of us. And he came, he came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and I ran and, he, and ran out of the house. And she kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you bought that you bought us, came to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. And Joseph's master took him and put him into prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. Notice that again, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him what? Favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all of those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. And the warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was, again, with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Okay, you notice that several times in that story. God was with him. That phrase shows up five times across this chapter. When life is hard, when circumstances are very difficult and the things that you hope for, the things don't turn out the way you want it to, and it's now prison time, and when good choices are made and the things that, that, are turn, that turn out the way that we don't want it to turn out, do we believe and trust in God's presence that God's presence is enough? You see, Joseph, even in this, did not let his circumstances hinder his relationship with God. Church, make no mistake about it. The best world that you and I can live for God is the world we are in right now. 
Not the world we had or we wish we'd hope we had or the world that may or may not happen or the world that we wish we had. The very best time we can live for God is the one we are in currently right now and the one that you and I are living in right now. Even if it's the world that you didn't choose or the world that you hadn't hoped for or the world that you had wished has been maybe slowly dissipating. And for many, the temptation is to say this, church. The temptation is to say, I will start living into the fullness of the Christian life when my life gets together. When my life gets sorted out, that's when I'll start to live for God. Friends, we are promised right now. We are promised right now. And the time to live for God is now. And the time, I've never met anybody who's living in a world that they would have, they would have wanted to have to a T. I've never met anybody like that. The time to live for God is now. Not in a world maybe where the teenage kids will quit acting out or when the dream will find a dream job. The time to live for God is now. Why? And it's because today is promised. And when faith and circumstances get put to the test, when the pressure was on, it reveals a lot of things. And for Joseph, this young man at this particular point, it revealed a trust in God. Even when his circumstances may have been screaming otherwise, if he trusted. And it's those moments we read James chapter 1, consider it pure what? Joy. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. And when life doesn't turn out the way we anticipated it to be, I know the promise is this, church, that God is with us through our trials. God is with us through our trials. It's hard to consider joy when we're facing trials, especially when circumstances we did not choose or a circumstance or a place that we didn't want to be in, church. It's hard, but consider it pure joy, as James says in James 1. And a verse that we've championed in this season is this, and myself has championed, be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. And it's like, be thankful in all circumstances. Like, can I put a bracket in there? Like, can I put a bracket, like, be thankful, like, when I feel like it? Or can I be thankful when, like, things are turning out the way I really wanted it to go? And, like, it's like, no. Be thankful in all circumstances. That's how it's written. One of those folks I've seen heed this verse, I've had the opportunity to know his family, and uh, is Joel Sonnenberg. Joel Sonnenberg had every reason in the world to question God's sovereignty and love. And he wasn't yet two years old when a tragic chain reaction car accident changed his life. A truck crashed into the back line of cars that was stopped at a toll plaza, and the car Joel was riding in was engulfed in flames. Agonizing minutes went by before he could be rescued from that car. And although he survived, he's faced with excruciating pain, and even the 50-plus surgeries have left him disfigured. And bitterness would be easy in this circumstance. Bitterness would be easy, but instead of rejecting God as powerless or cruel, Joel has allowed God's love to fill him. And he has had every opportunity to testify as to what God can do in someone's life. For he's been on 48 hours, public eye with Brian Gumbel, just to name a few. He graduated from college. He achieved an Eagle Scout. He was Discover Tribute Award winner. He was Western North Carolina Citizen of the Year, high school student body president, just to name a few. Joel is a living example of who faced and who continues to face continual challenges. And yet he doesn't allow his circumstances to hinder a life and faith and trust in God. He faces very fierce cultural winds in his face and pressures that may be telling him to abandon it altogether. Where was God when you were two years old? 
He doesn't, he doesn't and he didn't allow circumstances to dictate his faith in a God that will never change. And we find this in this section, this dealing with, uh, let's reread verses 6 through 10. We find in this section Joseph dealing with temptation and integrity. So let's find this in verses 6 through 10. We'll reread this together. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care, and with Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome, and after a while, his master's wife took notice of him and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master doesn't concern anything with anything in the house. Everything he owns has been entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though he spoke to Joseph, and though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or to even be with her. I notice the word entrusted, entrusted everything. We find this word here called trust. And this is Joseph at the age of 17 at this point. And we know from this timeline, just to give you a little bit of an overview of this timeline, of this story, that Joseph on this timeline is at least, he's in prison at least two full years. Um, verse four, uh, chapter 41, verse 1 says this. And then in verse 40, uh, chapter 41, 46, he's at the age of 30 when he's eventually released from prison. So about 13 years of this total under the rule of Potiphar and in prison as well. So from perhaps around around 11 years that he'd been on the receiving end of temptation from Potiphar. I mean, notice the temptation here, church. Just be honest here, just the temptation here. There's the, the temptation the, to sort of think about this, like there's the temptation to say no one's going to ever find out. I mean, they're here Joseph is. He's far away from home. He seems to be in relative obscurity away from his family. His family is on the other side of the Sinai and beyond. He worked for Potiphar, so maybe that could have been a reason for him to give in to this. And I mean, up to this point, add to, the, add to the fact that Joseph knew the dysfunction of his father's favoritism, the scorn of his brother's hatred, and the betrayal of being sold off by profit, that the disdain of this life that he had and the dissolution of, of this transplantation to this soil and culture. And he had sort of all these excuses he could have made in his mind to do this. Maybe some self-pity or something like this, and given into this. And as one author says it like this, Joseph had every reason to be angry and bitter and resentful and cynical and fearful and self-serving and self-pitying. Joseph had every human reason to find fleeting solace in an illicit embrace quite frankly, to act out. And Joseph had a lot of reasons to give in to this temptation, yet he did not use his circumstances as a way of justifying such action. Joseph knew that trust underpinned the relationships that he had with God and with others and to Potiphar as well. And Joseph saw this Joseph saw this as sin against God. Did you know that? Joseph says this is sin against God. He didn't want to sin against God. He saw life as one wanting to fulfill all relationships. And it was author Kent Hughes says it like this, that Joseph's integrity was one of fabric. And because he was faithful in all of his relationships, he could resist being unfaithful in this instance. And this story is not about, just not about sexual fidelity. Joseph's life was a web of moral accountability. He saw his moral life as a unified, integrated whole. 
and his overall faithfulness that helped him reject this massive temptation. And we must understand that little sins paved the way to big sins and that Joseph was on no such path. It was the power of this quality of his life as a whole that enabled him to resist this woman's advances. And we're told five times that, jo- that God was with Joseph and the awareness of God's presence just goes beyond, goes all throughout this chapter. And I believe that Joseph knew and had moral integrity and he had this compass that all these relationships were intertwined with God and with others as well. I can imagine being given all this authority at such a very young age and I would imagine that would have quite the bearing on somebody's life. I mean, he had, he's entrusted with so much and what seems like perhaps Joseph maybe would have given up on trust at this point. I mean, look what his brothers have done to him. Look what has happened in Egypt. You think maybe he's, he's given up on trust. Maybe you think about that big picture, about that trust that Joseph could have been skeptical of trust, given up on it, throwing the towel on it. He's betrayed by his brothers. He's thrown into a pit. He's sold into slavery. But it does go to show us, church, that even in these moments, it does go to show us, church, that even if we have been hurt or misused with trust, it is possible to regain trust. It is possible to regain trust. And there are folks who we know right now who quite possibly maybe we've shut the door on trust because trust has been broken, but yet the story of Joseph challenges me that the fact that trust can be rebuilt and can be mended. We're then told that Potiphar's wife frames Joseph for wrongdoing, and then he runs out of the house. Did you notice that kind of that moment there that he runs out of the house? And so the answer to this, really this temptation, is just run the other direction when we're tempted is to run the other direction. And it's the, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, 18, to flee from sexual immorality. Run the other direction. Joseph got out of the situation. He completely removed himself from it. And it says, run the other direction. And he ran the other way. And I find it that it seems very, sin seems very enticing. And so often seems like we want to justify it, perhaps diminish its effects. But what the New Testament gives us this command, it means to run. Run the other way. The Bible doesn't tell us to reason with it. It tells us to run and to flee. Run for your life to get out of there. And here, and it's in this, this, this context specifically is this area of, of sexual temptation. And I just want to just say a pastoral word here. This comes from Chuck Swindoll. Uh, and the greatest gift that you can give your marriage partner is your purity and your fidelity. The greatest character trait that you can provide your spouse and your family is moral and ethical self-control. Church, stand firm. Stand firm. Temptation is all around us, whether it's the internet or the TV or the coworker or the peer pressure at school. Maybe it's a colleague. Material temptation. It doesn't have to be this specific instance. It can be material. Material temptation. Positional temptation as well. However it might be, we are confronted with this on a daily basis basis. And unfortunately, you and I, like Joseph, may be confronted or maybe unjustly put in a situation we didn't choose. We may end up in prison, but it's best to be on God's side and to keep your integrity and not to be, to not to be on his side. And however nicely wrapped up this feels or, or sounds, you maybe even get ridiculed for it. And don't bite the fruit of that. Don't bite the fruit. Run the other direction. 
of that. And yet when Joseph, even when Joseph runs out and runs the other direction, he ends up in prison. Doesn't seem very fair, does it? Joseph flees temptation. He says no a million times. He builds trust with Potiphar and all he's been through. And you may be asking, it doesn't just seem very fair the way things have gone. Maybe he's done the right things. He's crossed the T's and he's dotted the I's. And yet what I find about the Joseph story is in the midst of the prison, we're told that God was with him. And as author Steve Elliott notes it like this, he says it like this, if you have trusted God and it seems to have backfired, you may find yourself in a hard place. If you did everything right, but it seems to have turned out all wrong. If you've done everything right, but it seems to have turned out all wrong, know this, God has your back. Can I say that again? If you've trusted God, it seems to have backfired. If you find yourself in a hard place, if you did everything right, but it seems to have turned out all wrong, know this, church, God has your back. God is the very best defender than we will ever have. It's why when God's the very best defender, uh, I will ever, ever, ever have. He'll walk with you and he's got your back. And you may be thinking, well, pastor, I know how the story ends. I know how Joseph ends up. I know what happens. I know the end. I've heard it. I know what happens. We've got collections of Joseph. I know how this ends up. I don't know how things are going to end up. I don't know. I don't see the future. I don't have my life planned out. And unfortunately, pastor, I know what happens to Joseph. I know what happens with his family. But you know, I'm living in 2022. I don't see next year. I don't see next week. And I don't see my family in the midst of it all. I know how Joseph ended. Yet what we know throughout the deep and put yourself in that deep and dark prison cell, the text says that Joseph found favor with the warden that God was with him. Are there times, there, just a thought with this, are there times that perhaps we've given up on one trust in God too soon? Has there been one trust that we've given up? Maybe the ending, maybe the ending and the, the, here's the thing, the ending has not been written on your life. The ending has not been written on your life and the vision and the dreams are still in play. What happened to Joseph was not fair. It could have been all the excuses in the world to self-pity or to give up or to scream that he didn't have this, or he didn't deserve the way the things had been turned out the way that it happened. But you know what? He trusted God anyway. And if you're in that season of trusting or doubting, doubting God's trust or in a place of wondering if God's actually there or wondering if actually things are going to work out, trust in God's supreme timeline. In our current Christian context, if we don't see immediate results, we're done and we throw in the towel. If we don't see, we don't see God at work or trust in immediate results, we sort of, if we don't see the immediate, we're like, I want, I want to go and like, I want my, like, I'm just thinking of Chick-fil-A, but like, um, the, the, <laughs> thank you, oh, Chick-fil-A, like if I don't get my Chick-fil-A within five minutes, I'm out. Or if I'm at Walmart and like the line's like two, like I'm in this, I'm in the, uh, the self, the, the cashier checkout, right? Listen, we all been there. I prefer that. Um, go into the, you know, have a human being check you out. But, um, but if you're in that line, and if it takes too long, we skip it, right? Um, and so sometimes we don't trust God's timeline. We just like, I'm out, because it's just not the immediate results. And I imagine, 
I imagine, it's, I imagine Joseph at this point, you know, trusting God, just kind of daily, trusting God, and at every moment, trusting God. God's timeline of things is not ours, church. It is built over a lifetime, and he is patiently and faithfully at work in ways we could never employ. Imagine what must have been going through Joseph's mind. Innocent, I mean, imagine what could have been going through his mind at this point. He's innocent, resisted temptation. He's unsure of the final outcome. And in those days, he wasn't sure. Possibly, if you're in the prison in those days, possible punishment was stoning or death. Yet the thousands of pages of stories we have, we have trusted God over lifetimes. We have thousands of stories of people who have trusted God over lifetimes. And church, they're better for it. And we have those stories of faithfulness in the scriptures. So notice the verses that characterize Joseph's life, the sentences that are written about him. Verse 21, notice this sentence about Joseph's life. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. She showed him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those in the prison, and the Lord was with Joseph. We're told that in the first few verses of this chapter as well. So this kind of summarizes Joseph, and these are the things that are written about Joseph as well. And so we're notice this, and it just the Lord was with Joseph, and we're told that in these first few verses of this chapter too. And really, this portion of this story really makes me think this. Kind of this moment sort of makes me think about this portion. If these are the sentences written about Joseph's life, if these are the things that are said and written about him, what's going to be written about my life? What would be written about your life right now? We're told that Joseph found favor in the eyes of the prison warden. We're told that he's thrown in a pit that he didn't want to be in. He's put in a prison that he didn't deserve to be there. He's done everything right. It'd be a hard time to say Joseph was bitter and angry at the world and angry with others and lost his trust in God and started to doubt God's goodness. The text doesn't say that. What would be written about your life and my life? The Bible could have said Joseph was angry and bitter. He was a bitter man and spent the rest of his life in bitterness toward God and toward other people. He was mad. He was angry at the world. Yet Joseph faced into the wind, stood his ground, deepened his trust in God, and he had an audience of one. He played out his life for an audience of one. And church, it means this, that integrity does matter. That integrity does matter, even if it, it is costly. Even if it costs you. Even if it costs me. That it, that it matters. Even if you get thrown into a prison and into a pit, even if it doesn't seem fair, it means that it matters. A life with God matters even when it's hard, even when life doesn't make sense. The best world that you and I can live for God is the one we're in right now or the world that we wish we had.